what we're getting ready to look at is going to absolutely change your life. If you want it. But I don't want to be so audacious to think that anything that I have to say or the silky smooth way in which my Kentucky accent may titillate your ears has got anything to do with it. Change in life comes one way and one way only. And that is people need to think differently. Our thinking has to be corrected in order for life choices and what we value, what we allow in our lives, what we esteem worthy of dispensing our time to be either permissible or thrown out. There are some things that we just have to flat reject, but we have to have a conviction to do so. If we're never convinced, change will never happen. An alcoholic can go to as many AA meetings as they want to. That's fine. Until they are convinced that, number one, the label alcoholic is going to label them and they can be nothing better than what that is, they're already stifled. And number two, until they recognize that Jesus Christ has all power in every situation, it will never get better. It just becomes different ways of trying to mold our flesh and our minds like Play-Doh until we get a different result. I tell you, it will never happen. If it is not of the Spirit, it is of what? The flesh. We know that. If it's not of the Spirit, it's of the flesh. So I think today is vitally important for us to grasp what we're going to set off on because everything is going to lead towards the idea of building up the body of Christ. Whether you know it or whether you've ever realized it, maybe this is new information for you. If you are a believer in Christ, you only have one goal in life that that develops itself in two ways, and that is to build up the body of Christ. That's your only goal in life. There is nothing more. I think, well, what about my family? This is your family. What about my friends? We are your friends, at least I hope. There's nothing greater in the sight of God for the church than to be building itself up in love. And the only way that it can do that properly, I'm going to use this blasphemous word before you, is by Bible doctrine. That is the only way that a church is built up. So regardless of where you are in your walk with Christ, you can know that the guardrails to get where you are going is to build up the body. And that's either done by evangelism, sharing your faith with others so that they would believe and be saved, or discipleship, encouraging one another in the word from the greatness of which Christ has accomplished for us on this cross because all blessings flow from that and that alone. So I want to introduce to you something today that we're going to call the ancient principle. Now I'm going to go ahead and tell you this isn't a name that it's been commonly given in church history. The reason why I call it ancient is because often it's tongue-in-cheek that the Bible's just an ancient book. It doesn't have anything good to say for today. We've advanced past that. Or sadly, some Christians have gotten into this mode of, well, that's what the text meant at that time. But because of our modern setting, it means something different. And so they try to treat the Scriptures with fluidity. We call it an ancient principle because if we will just embrace it, 
It will absolutely revolutionize the way you think and the way that you care about existing in this world. If we neglect it, then we are going to say that settling for far less than what is freely available to us is okay and right in the sight of God because we're really excited about mundane living. I don't think anybody here would be satisfied with that. If you're a Christian who likes to be left alone, you shouldn't have come today. Because I by no means want to leave you alone. I want to bother you and agitate you with so much love and truth that you won't be able to sit still any longer. Take your Bibles and turn to James chapter 1. Oftentimes we get saved and then we stop. But I think you would agree with me that God wants us to be spiritually effective. God wants to see us active in making a difference. But we often just introduce the word works and we throw the foundation and means of how those works are accomplished out the window. Some people think it's weird or even charismatic to say that you can have deeper intimacy or a deeper fellowship with the creator of all things. I call that Bible. Our God is a supernatural God. If for no other reason that he says that he's invisible. And we're told, regardless of what Benny Hinn told you what happened while he was shaving, that no one has seen God at any time. The scriptures verify that in a couple of different places. But I will tell you this. Men and women throughout history have experienced God deeply. And it came because they embraced this ancient principle. Raise your hand if you believe that God wants to bless you. And I'm not talking about in the Joel Olstein health, wealth, and prosperity way. He wants to bless you, doesn't he? In fact... One thing that seems so counteractive if we get our minds set on, well, that's just the God of the Old Testament, that type of argument, is we get into this whole idea that God's just mean, wrathful, vindictive, especially if you've come from a Catholic background. That's why Jesus is there, is kind of to calm God down. Just calm down, it's okay. But then you turn to find out that Jesus has a mean streak too, and so we got to get Mary involved, because, you know, she's a woman, she can get under control. God and Jesus are just out of line. They just need a good woman in there to shape them up. Good grief, we believe some silly things in our world. We believe a lot of things that aren't biblical. God wants to bless you now. But God also wants exceedingly greater blessings for you in the hereafter, in the kingdom. In fact, he has a designation for that. It's called an abundant life. Don't miss that phrase, abundant life. If you right now are sitting here saying, you know what, I'm not really living an abundant life, I promise you this, it's not because it's not available to you. And it's not because everything has not been put in place for you to experience and enjoy that. I tell you, it has. All of the work involved in this principle being effective in your life has already been taken care of across the board. You lack nothing. Now, you may not feel like this morning that you don't lack anything, 
But I'm here to tell you that your Christian life is never based on feelings. It is always rooted in the facts of Scripture. And the facts of Scripture has another name. We call it Bible doctrine. It is important that we are not repulsed by this phrase. So, if all the blessings are already ours, they're already reserved, God is waiting to pour them out on us, how in the world does that happen? You ever been doing something and you talk to somebody and you realize whatever you thought you were doing over here wasn't happening? You know, you go over, you want a glass of water, you turn on the faucet, you're talking to somebody, and you recognize nothing's happening. Is the water running? Yes. But where's my cup? It's out of place. Or let me say it this way. I can't experience anything that is flowing forth freely to satisfy what I desperately need because I have not positioned myself to receive it. Does that make sense? A lot of blessing bypasses us because we haven't embraced this principle and stood in the crosshairs of it and said, yes, if this is true, All of my life needs to be reoriented with this conviction in mind. I cannot continue forward with any comfort or any peace of conscience knowing what I know today about this principle because to live apart from it is to keep God at a distance. That's a scary existence. My heart, my goal for every single person in this room and those that weren't able to make it today is that you are as close to God as you could possibly be at every point in your life. I have a hard time finding how anything of eternal worth can be done for his name if we keep him away. Everybody with me? This is the longest introduction you're ever going to have in your life. It's so long. Look at all these notes I put in here. Make sure I want to hit all the points. My scripture's not till over here on page two. Yeah, I know. Well, this is, this is the first time I've really put notes in there for that, so it's okay. <clears throat> what is the principle? James chapter one. If you would, let's start in verse 22. We're going to read to 25. Then we're going to talk about it. <clears throat> but prove yourselves... Doers of the word, and not merely hearers who delude themselves. Pay attention to that. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who looks at his natural face in a mirror. For once he has looked at himself and gone away, he immediately He has immediately forgotten what kind of person he was. But one who looks intently at the perfect law, the law of liberty, and abides by it, not having become a forgetful hearer, but an effectual doer. This man will be blessed 
in what he does. What does this mean? It means to hear only has no effect. It means for the Bible to enter here and even to be recited here is of no worth for you if it doesn't display itself here and here. Does this make sense? In fact, I would say that there are too many people who know a lot about the Bible. You usually find people that can recite for you things that you've never even heard in your life, and you think, good grief, how does all that fit in one noggin? But you find the way that they treat their wife and kids is deplorable. And you find that their irritability is at an astronomical level. And you find that the sins that they entertain is okay in their life is detestable. They know a lot, but it's no good. See, that's what's interesting. Bible doctrine has to go somewhere. Now, let's put it on the flip side for some of you. And I don't know. Maybe this is you. Maybe it's not. But maybe you've dealt with this common defense mechanism to try to convince the people that want you to go to church or invite you to go to church that you don't need to be in church. I just don't get anything out of church. Anybody use that excuse? See, nobody, me, me and somebody else are the only people who's going to admit it. This doesn't resonate with any of you, right? My wife and I used to go to a church when we first got married But we didn't get anything out of the church being there. We were serving in the youth group. So when we talked to people, we we sent them to other churches. What'd that say about us? We were young. Give us some credit. I just don't get anything out of it. The reason why people don't get anything out of Sunday morning worship is not because they didn't put anything into it. That's a common misnomer. Well, you have to invest in it in order to get something out of it. You could say that maybe, but that's not really putting the finger on the issue. The nerve is, is because when they walked away from church, they did nothing with it. Thinking didn't change. Worldview was unaltered. Perspectives were not moved. Compassion was not aroused. Looking at the life situation, who I really am from Monday to Saturday, was never addressed with the truth that was dispensed on Sunday. And we all came together corporately to worship. And I don't like the word corporately, but together. We are the assembly of the body of Christ himself. This isn't just a clever word picture in order to try to make us understand it. It is spiritually speaking in God's eyes a reality of how he views us. It's used too often in scripture to not be that way. 
But if we wonder why we're not getting a lot out of church, it may be because we haven't assimilated anything that we've learned so that the Holy Spirit is using it to make a difference in our lives. Instead, we've just dammed up our hearts so that nothing can get through. That's a scary place to be. Now notice what James says if we pull through this scripture. And I'll be honest with you, I don't like the translation. But prove yourselves. You know what that says? Better prove it. Better show me. I need to see it. But that's not what it means. Now, some people would look at this and said, okay, to prove yourself, <clears throat> this is how you know whether or not you're really saved. You need to prove it. You need to show me. You'll know them by their fruits. Anybody ever heard somebody say that? Anybody know what the context is surrounding that? False teachers. Anybody know what the fruit is? Words. It's not accurate. It's what they're teaching. So the whole idea of, well, I just need to see some fruit in your life, get that out of your head. Nobody made you the fruit inspector of the USA. Calm down. But it says prove it, Pastor. It says it. What's interesting is this Greek work is this Greek word is the word, and it's in your notes. Genomai is the word. And the idea is to come into being something. It can't be salvation. We know this. Somehow we read the rest of the Bible and we forget about John 3.16. I think John 3.16 is a really great standard for us to understand how to take the rest of the scriptures. If God loves you and he gave his son for you and all he requires of you is to believe in him and you won't perish, but you will have eternal life, that doesn't have anything to do with me bringing some merit to prove that I have eternal life as a possession. I'm simply responding in faith to God's love of sending his son. I'm not working here. I'm not proving anything. And here's the interesting thing. You don't judge me, so I don't have to convince you. No one here is a fruit inspector. No one. Now, am I saying don't be discerning and just let your brains fall all over the floor? Not saying that. But I'm saying as far as judging the eternal condition of someone, it is not my place. All I can go off of is your confession, but I'm certainly not worried about your works letting me know whether you're going to heaven or not. So the idea of prove here, I don't like it. I think it would be better to say, but keep coming into being as doers of the word. Keep doing the word. You know what this says? It says that you're never done. You say, oh, wait a second. This sounds a lot like works. I'm going to surprise you. It's not. And here's why this isn't works. Because notice he's not saying, get to work, get to work, get to work. Would you say that there's a big difference between hearing something and listening to something? What's the difference, church? Application, right? husbands often hear they don't often listen whether it be the god-given spiritual gift of the selective filter or sheer ignorance i love it all the men were amening oh thank you pastor for saving me Woo! holy spirit was convicting my heart you gave me a way out thank you jesus i don't have to be convinced today James is talking about, we need to put feet on this. 
Throughout your entire life, you will constantly be coming into being as a doer of the word. How does this take place? Well, let me tell you this. All that you need to do the word has already been done for you. Does that make sense? You say, wait a second, this sounds like works. Mm, It's not. And here's the reason why. You can sit here and you can work for it and be so mindful of your works that you forget the reason why you're working. You know what that's called? Religion. Because you start working to gain acceptance. You start working so the strikes aren't against you. You are responsible for cleaning your own chalkboard. It didn't start that way, but through enough good intentions and ingenuity, you ended up that way. This, instead, has its basis here. The instructions are already put down for you. All the pieces that you need to assemble are ready to go. And all the benefits that come from you embracing this ancient principle are just waiting to overflow you and wash you straight out the door into the world. Be doers of the word, not hearers only. If you have heard Bible doctrine, the question to ask next is, is, Lord, what does this look like in my life? How does this make a difference? What would you like to change because of the truth I now understand? Good grief, that's a dangerous prayer. That's more dangerous than praying whether or not he'll send you to Africa. Is it not, Roxanne? It is a much more dangerous prayer. Because what it's saying is, is you're asking God, Lord, how do you want me to be a missionary or a minister for your name in the here and now, this week, starting now? Now, how do you want this to be different? See, this ancient principle is going to scare some of you. You might even go home and get a scalpel and start cutting James out of your Bible. I don't know. But notice, be doers of the word, not merely hearers who, what's that word? Delude themselves. Now, I wanted to ask the question, is anybody here deluded? But I'm afraid who you would point out. And no, Tom is not here today. What does the word deluded mean? If you've got a different translation, what's it say? Deceived, lied to. Anybody ever had that experience when your child lies to you? There it is. And you can tell the people that are really ruffled in their feathers about it because they were quick to admit it. Yes, my child is a liar. And how does that make you feel? Disappointed? Oh my gosh, you've never seen blood pressure skyrocket at that moment. You know, your face starts to turn red. You start to get hot. You could swear that hair is falling out because of the heat going on. And you start to tremble. Why would this child lie to me? And it disrupts trust, doesn't it? And how long does it take for that feeling to go away? Hours? Do we forgive like God? Well, your punishment's been meted out. We're good again. Man, aren't you glad God forgives like that? Because if we were God, it'd be like, I don't know, man, because I remember, you know, March 3rd, 1979. 
You grabbed that Christmas ornament. You weren't supposed to. That's how we forgive. Delayed. How long does it take? Let me ask you this. When your child is seeking to move on with their life, isn't it always resting somewhere back here that it happened? And we have to catch ourselves. Do I keep disciplining this child for this situation that pushed me over the edge? But they moved on with life. Lollipops and sweet tarts became everything now. What do you do? Let me ask you a question. If it makes us so mad when our children lie to us, how come we don't get super mad whenever we lie to ourselves? Why is that? I mean, think about it. The only person closer to you than your child or your spouse is you. And let's be honest, the person that we trust the most in our lives is us. That's not true, Pastor. I trust Jesus. Don't be so religious. Stop it. You know that when it comes down to it, and even sometimes when you're trying to work with other people, I'm trying to include people. So I'm going to give them a job to do. And while they're doing it, you're sitting there going, and finally you want to go, give it to me! Done! And you've just damaged that relationship, right? Why is it that we're so quick to excuse the lie for ourselves? You know why? Because we're on our team. And so lying becomes acceptable in our realm with ourselves because we're actually trying to position the lie for our benefit. James knows me. Or let's say it this way, the Holy Spirit writing through James knows me. In fact, I would say this, verse 22 finds James identifying sufficiently but succinctly the greatest problem that you and I ever face, ever. Because our problem isn't sin necessarily, right? Sin's been paid for, yes? Yes. We can, if we're out of fellowship with the Lord because we've got ongoing sin, we come to Him biblically as 1 John 1 9 says, and we confess our sin, and that fellowship is restored, and He takes care of that. So thankful it's by His grace and not by my work. Praise God. But now my problem is, is that I have all things afforded to me by the death of another. The work of Christ has secured all things for me. But I refuse to access it. And I would rather lie to myself than progress as a Christian. You don't think that's true? What's the last thing that was in the Word of God that really struck you that you did nothing about? Because I tell you this, when it struck you, when the Holy Spirit put those Las Vegas lights around it and said, Ta-da! And you said, I got to put this Bible down. I got to stop reading so much. My eyes are hurting. Your eyes are hurting because the Holy Spirit's trying to blind you and make you recognize the only thing that matters is what He wants for you. And the way that God talks to us is through His Word. And He is speaking to lead us into greater paths that conform to his son. And he's not asking for anything from you other than to trust him. All else has been provided, and that's why the Christian life is not just works. Get that out of your mind. 
The Christian life is grace afforded to us, locked up, secured for us by Jesus. Everything is done, and he is asking us to position ourselves under the faucet so that we can finally receive the blessing that we are desperately needing and craving in this life that we fill up with everything else. We lie to ourselves. Let me ask you this. This is a good litmus test to think about. When things start going bad in your life, when you have a crisis that pops up, did you get on your knees before the Lord or did you get on Facebook? Where did you seek vindication first? Can't say amen, you got to say ouch. Who do we turn to first in our situation? See, it details for us what we're convinced of. And when we find ourselves, yeah, I know I should go to the Lord. Well, yeah, I'm sure the Bible's got something to say about this. Yeah, I know I should have went to that Bible study. Yeah, I know I should have hung out with those people. Yeah, I know I needed to memorize that verse. We, we, we know, we know. Did you guys know that in 2018, Christian book sales reached 593.7 million dollars in America? I don't even know how many zeros that is. That's a joke. $593.7 million. We don't have a problem with hearing truth. We have a problem with assimilating truth, doing truth, applying truth, appropriating truth. And here's the reason why I know. With $593 million, I would hope that Christian homes are staying together more and the lost would be saved in droves. Guys, it's not happening. Now, 90% of that budget was Pastor Steve's alone for Christian books. But regardless, regardless, you would think with all that hearing, there'd be a lot more doing. Let me ask you the question. Are you satisfied with the level of Christian experience in your life? Is your quiet time with the Lord beneficial and blossoming over? Because as you live your day, it wasn't compartmentalized. Instead, it was meditated upon so that you could walk forward in obedience. Yes? Only you can answer that. Only you know where you stand in that situation. Maybe some of the pressure of it, oh, well, I didn't do this right. Well, I did this okay, but... You know, or the, here's the Christian response. We should have this written somewhere. I could always do better, right? Eeyore Christianity aside, forget that. Really, it boils down to, am I convinced that what God is telling me is true? Because that's what moves me from a hearer to a doer. Now, watch how this moves forward. No one likes to be lied to. Let's stop lying to ourselves that this idea of mundane, casual acceptance of God's word is just okay, and I'm just going to go and do my thing and punch my religious type card. Let's never fall into that trap. Watch how this moves forward. Prove yourselves doers of the word and not merely hearers who delude themselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, now stop, he's going to give you an example. Let me paint a picture for you. Here's what James is saying. of someone who has heard sound teaching but has not 
appropriated it in their lives. Not even asked for God to do the work to make it happen. It's just there on a shelf somewhere, compartmentalized in our Christianity. It's in the back seat next to our Bible, okay? Watch this, okay? He gives you an illustration. He is like a man who looks at his natural face in a mirror. Now watch this. We can all we can all relate to this, right? Anybody shave this morning? Shave last night before you came? Okay. Any of you ladies shave your face before you came today? Right, just make sure I'm asking. <laughs> anyway, so notice here, verse 24. For once he's looked at himself and gone away, saw the reflection, yes? And then you walk away from the mirror. Pay attention to this illustration because it's often misinterpreted, okay? Look what it says. He looks at his natural face in the mirror. Once he's looked at himself, he's gone away. He has immediately, like that, forgotten, pay attention, what kind of person he was. For years, I taught this as, well, the person who hears and doesn't do is somebody who goes and sees that there's some sleep in the eye and the hair needs to be combed. He probably needs to shave. Maybe he's got a bug going on. I don't know what's going on. But anyway, and then he walks away and doesn't take care of anything that needed to be set appropriately in doing that. Have you ever heard that type of interpretation of this? It's wrong. That's not what James is saying. Notice the end of that. When he steps away, immediately forgotten what kind of person he was. In other words, you walk away from the mirror and you lived as such a person that was not you. Now, how do we know that? Look at the positive painting of the picture. Here's what it says, verse 25. But one who looks intently at the perfect law. Uh Uh-oh, preacher, you said it wasn't by works. Here it is, law. Everybody see the law of liberty? Everybody seen that? It is God's perfect law of liberty. This is not the Mosaic law. What this means, whenever you think law, and it's not dealing with Moses' law, it helps if you just think truth, okay? The truth of liberty. The standard of liberty that you've been given. Who looks intently at the perfect law, the law of liberty. Now watch what it says here about it. We'll talk about the law of liberty here is in just a second. <clears throat> and, everybody see that word? Abides by it. Everybody see that? Word means remains. Sticks with it. Stays in the basket. He's the vine. We are the branches. Apart from him, we can do what? Notice how similar that teaching is here. So we get kind of an idea and abides and remains. Look what it says about that. Not having become a forgetful hearer, but an effectual doer. This man will be blessed in what he does. What in the world is the law of liberty? The law of liberty is everything that you are in Christ because of everything that Christ has secured for you in his death in his resurrection the guy goes up to the mirror he looks at his face and then he walks away and he lives a life that is completely apart from who he truly is he's an actor but he's not an actor on purpose 
He heard who he really is in Christ, but he did not abide in who he is in Christ. Instead, he heard everything Bible doctrine had to say and walked away and lived like the world and handled decisions like the world and thought in patterns like the world and entertained jokes like the world and watched the same TV as the world. And everything that they surrounded themselves with was completely apart from what he looked at his reflection, who he truly was in Christ. Does everybody see that? Who thinks it's crazy? Who's tired of me yelling? Stop it. Okay, so if that's the case, look at the alternate illustration here. The one who looks intently at the perfect law. What is the perfect law, the law of liberty? It's who you really are in Christ. I'm going to say something that is completely against everything that other churches might stand for. God saw us as valuable enough to redeem, and that's why he gave his son. But what makes us valuable enough to redeem is what God desires to do in us because of the work of his son. Does that make sense? And here's the thing, guys. God has already done insurmountable things in our lives because of Jesus. You say, well, how come I'm not seeing it? Let me tell you. Because you're not convinced that this is true. And therefore, you're only a hearer of the word, not a doer. I'm not getting anything out of church. Because you're not using what you've been given. Because Bible study is not an end in itself. It is a beginning that boils up and over so that the body of Christ can drink from what God is teaching you, what he's doing in your life. Don't lie to yourself. The law of liberty tells you who you truly are. You have been set free. At the moment that you heard about the gospel message, Jesus has died for your sins and he's risen from the grave. He has taken your penalty upon himself and he gives you eternal life as a free gift that you did not earn. Believe in him and be saved. There's the gospel. You know what that means? Liberty. Freedom. I feel like we need a clip of William Wallace going, freedom, right? Set free. Liberated from the bondage of sin. Liberated from death and hell in the grave. Set free. And when we look in the mirror and we see ourselves as the word of God tells us who we truly are, we can't hear any longer. We become doers. We keep becoming doers. Why? Because hearing can't satisfy me. You see what I'm saying? Doctrine scratches this itch. And that's a good thing. It's got to get here before it goes anywhere else. But when it travels through and you become a doer of doctrine, it scratches this itch. When we become word doers, we are actually living in the liberty that God has already supplied. I would hate to think that many of us have looked at ourselves as the Bible tells us that we really are in Jesus. And this whole in Christ truth we're going to cover in the next couple of months or so, however long it takes for us to finally get it. 
I would hate to think that we've seen that picture. Well, this is what Jesus says about you. This is what God did for you. This is how Christ supplied for you. And we walked away and it didn't matter a hill of beans because we treated everybody and we operated and we did all the things according to the way that we've always done it. We never let it get past hearing. Somehow we thought that hearing was enough. This is why I say we can't just be a sit-down, complacent church. No! We cannot settle for less. Because here's what we're doing when we do. Hearing's enough. Sunday's enough. Let's just put it in a little storage locker here at the airport and leave it. I'll come back and get it next week. What the world is offering me is better than what God has said about me. See, here's the amazing thing about the world. They're going to keep asking from you. And they're going to keep getting, and they're going to keep taking, and we're never going to be satisfied. The hole just gets larger and larger and larger. And it's not that, well, what happens is, is you got to get with Jesus and do all these things so he can take care of that and fill all No, he's already done it. It's done. It's finished. Isn't that what he said? It is finished. If the cross only saved me from hell, I'm a little disappointed. Grateful, yes. But if he's God, are we not told he can do exceedingly, abundantly, beyond all that I could ever ask or think? Folks, his grace doesn't stop. His grace does not stop. And somehow we've put barriers and boundaries in our thinking that God could only work so far. But he would never be able to identify with this situation or help me here or rescue this or provide for me or answer when I call on him for this. Stop. That is not the God of the Bible. I'll tell you what it is. It's an evidence that we were hearers only in those situations. Now, here's an interesting thing. The law of liberty and abides by it. Holds fast. Yes, this is the truth. Not having become a forgetful hearer. amnesia christianity Woo! how come nobody started a denomination of that i'm sure to have many members but an effectual doer you know what i want somebody to start that denomination i'm part of the effectual doers of jesus christ if i don't sound cultish i don't know what does so anyway this man will be blessed pay attention in what he does how many times have you not done anything because you knew you wouldn't get anything out of it? Or does this tell you the blessing happens in the midst of doing? Everybody see that? Not only am I hearing the truth, but I'm asking God to make it a reality in my life because of everything he secured for me and everything that he says that I am in Christ. And so I walk forward in faith. Faith working itself out in love. And I start to get involved. And in the midst of getting involved, knowing what this verse says, taking God at his word, he begins to bless. You ever thought that maybe the reason why you hear about all these blessings, but you're not experiencing any of these blessings, is because all you've been doing is hearing. It's the doing of the word. An effectual doer. That means leaving an impact. And where do you leave that impact? Guys, you're going to hear me say this over and over and over. There is no other place that was commissioned by the Lord Jesus Christ for the Christian to operate and dispense the duties of edification than the local church body. 
period. That's the New Testament. It's what it's all about. The church is the place of his body. Now, a little bit more about this law of liberty. Everybody look up at verse 21. I didn't start there because I didn't want to mess us up, but I want you to see how the context flows together. Notice what he says. Therefore, putting aside all filthiness and all that remains of wickedness. Does that sound like our life before we knew Jesus? Notice that James is talking to Christians who might have some hanger-ons in their life. It's like, wait a second, man. You're settling for way less. You're loving things that are much lower than what God's called you to. You're liking the junk. You're playing in the puke. Stop it. Notice what it says, in humility. In fact, if you have room in your Bible above the word humility, this is a good word, attitude. Because your attitude is a reflection of what's mentally going on in your cranium. It's a good thing to know. What is my attitude in this situation? So often we don't give up the things that are filthy and wicked. I think one translation says rampant wickedness in our lives. Can Christians have rampant wickedness? Yes, Those are the Christians that have no blessing. They're hearers only, and they're not doers. They have denied the ancient principle's truth. Notice here, in humility, attitude, mental attitude, receive the word. Where is it? Implanted. That's how you know they're saved. The word is already implanted in you because you have what? Well, you have belief, but what do you have at the moment of belief? The Holy Spirit. Who wrote God's word? Holy Spirit carried men along to write down exactly what he wanted them to know. That's the whole doctrine of inspiration. So notice what we're dealing with here. In humility, receive the word implanted. Everybody notice that the word's already implanted. We just need to receive it. The junk we allow in our lives, crowd it out. So if we set that down and we humble ourselves before the Lord... We will receive the word implanted. Why should we do that? Because it's able to save your soul, your life. Now you'll see in your notes, the word soul, suke, is used in the New Testament 105 times. Five of them are speaking of the idea of go to heaven when you die, and the context will let you know when that's what it's talking about. The other 50, or sorry, 50 of the other 100, half of the instances, deal with the idea of now that you are a Christian, how will you live your life in such a way that will give way to great abundance, not just now, but when we stand before Jesus for the first time face to face? How are you stewarding yourself? Here's the amazing thing. It's not difficult. It's simply receiving the word that's already implanted What does it look like to receive the word already implanted? Not being a hearer only, being a doer. So here's my question. Are you a word doer? That's really what it boils down to. Am I an effectual doer or am I a forgetful hearer? Where did Bible doctrine stop in my life? Where have I denied the fully sufficient grace of God to supply everything I need and to be deemed without loss before Christ because of all that he's done for me. Understand, guys, I'm not talking about personal self-worth. Everything that is worth anything in me is because of what Jesus has done in me. It's the same for you. So he's either done it all or there's something left for me to do. And if there's something left for me to do, he didn't do the best job he could have. 
I find it hard to believe that God does anything just halfway. You never hear, and here comes God around the bend. He's coming in, yeah, third. It never happens. In fact, we would all be surprised that God is doing less than his best in every instance. But here's the amazing thing. He, he can't make you a word doer. He secured it all for you. He's guaranteed blessing in light of it. He's given you his Holy Spirit. He's giving you his word. He's instituted 37 things that are now a reality about you simply because you have changed locations in life and you are now in Christ. It sounds like he's done a lot to set us up for success without any fault. I would agree. Where's the hinge? Us. Are we a doer of the word? That's a question that needs to be meditated on and answered. Let's pray. Father, we thank you alone for all that you've done for us and giving us this ancient principle to not be hearers only, but to be doers of the word, to seek for the truth, to have a marked, manifested difference in our lives and how we live. Apart from you, we can do nothing. And I pray that the word nothing weighs upon us to where we cannot escape it. Let us not rest in less. If we've been lying to ourselves, thinking that hearing is enough, it's not. Only because we are not receiving all that you have for us. We have lied to ourselves and told us this is the best that we get. If we're deceived, Father, I pray that you remove those excuses from our hearts and minds. It is a wonderful, grace-filled privilege to be able to serve the Creator of all things. Father, forgive us if we know so much that we are not doing. And I pray, God, that you would bring us back to basics with you. That we would reaffirm the elementary doctrines of Christ and ask for you to lead us in a path to do with what we know. God, help us to understand this more and more and more. It cannot be neglected. You've given too much for us to squander it. I pray, God, that our hearts are moved to obey you. We pray all this in the name of Christ, our Savior. Amen.